Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. We are back here today, and man, that was one busy week of Purdue basketball. And as I record this on Monday evening, it feels a lot longer than just a week ago since Purdue took it to Illinois in Mackey Arena. But that's all it's been. It's been six days. We'll talk about all three of Purdue's games from this past week. We will do this by taking a look at Purdue's panic button meter. See where they're at, where fans should be at after a pair of underwhelming performances. And we'll look at where Purdue goes from here. Tons of questions also from you all on Twitter. Thank you for that. Lots to talk about today. We'll weave those in throughout the show. Uh, really excited for this one, so let's jump right in. But first, as always... Give the show a follow on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. Tons of conversation there. Uh, we're talking Purdue sports all the time. We're talking Big Ten basketball, everything there. Uh, and you can participate in the Q&As from there as well. So give the show a follow on Twitter and subscribe to Boilers and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts. We're available anywhere you look. So uh, be sure to subscribe. There's a lot going on here down the stretch as we're in the back half of February heading into the greatest month of the year. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. All right. Three games this past week. Purdue 84, Illinois 68. A massive win for Purdue. Michigan 82, Purdue 58. And underwhelming butt-kicking by Michigan that Purdue was never really in the game. And Purdue 62, Maryland 61, uh, perhaps the most head-scratching result of all three of those. Let's talk about them, and we are going to do this with the panic button meter. First time we're breaking this out here, how much should fans be hitting the panic button? We know that Maryland's not a great team. They came in 3-10 and in Big Ten play. They fired Mark Turgeon back in early December. Uh, it's been anything but the season that Terrapin fans had in mind. And they probably deserved to win in Mackey Arena yesterday. Or at least had a very good shot at winning yesterday. Look, the key to produce panic button right now and why you are... Why fans are very worried here is because the offense has struggled the last two games. You know, this team foundationally is an offensive team. You don't, if you're not an offensive team, you're not the number one offensive efficiency team in the country in Ken Palm. That's what Purdue is. And while I know those metrics are flawed a little bit, uh, they're pretty accurate. Purdue can score the ball in a lot of ways, but... What we're seeing is how important to this offense three-point shooting is. Purdue goes four for 18 from three versus Michigan. And, you know, they get run out of the floor. They get run off the floor, excuse me, run out of the gym. And only score 58 points. When, you know, Purdue relies so much on the three-pointer that only getting... 12 points from the three-point line probably isn't going to cut it for you, especially when you consider that, you know, Michigan has a good big man. Michigan has size across the front line, and Purdue 
simply wasn't there to play. A lot of reasons in that we'll go in later. Purdue does go 8 for 20 from 3 against Maryland, but I will add, you know, five of those are Sasha Stefanovic hitting big shots when Purdue needed them. Um, you take Sasha Stefanovic away, you're 3 for 11. That's substantially different than the 8 for 20 that reality was for Purdue. So, look, why is that? Why is three-point shooting becoming an issue for Purdue? And number one, I mean, Mason Gillis is cooling off a little bit. That is probably to be expected. You know, Gillis was above 50% from three for a while, uh, for a good long while. That's probably not reality. And Mason Gillis is a good player. Uh, He's a good shooter. This is not a slight to him in any way. 50% from three is almost impossible to maintain over a long period of time, especially if you start increasing volume at all, which he's gotten more looks. Um, You know, Purdue's run a few things for him, not a ton, but they've gotten the ball to him on purpose at times. Um, And that's just going to lead to more chances to miss shots at the end of the day. Um, You know, he's starting to cool off a little bit. Isaiah Thompson is an excellent three-point shooter. Since he went off for, uh, what was it? Was it 18? Was it 20? Whatever he led the team in scoring with up at Iowa, you know, he hasn't gotten a whole lot of looks. Um, I think part of that is that if he's going to be a scorer, which I don't know that you really need, maybe he needs to run guys off the three-point line a little bit and get into that mid-range where he is pretty good. Um, That may be you know, a potential thing there, but he hasn't gotten a ton of looks from three. He's a good three-point shooter. You want him to get looks. Uh, Eric Hunter Jr. has shot the ball well for the most part, but I think really Gillis cooling off, Thompson hasn't gotten as many looks, and Jaden Ivey hasn't shot the ball particularly well from three either. Um, That's, again, that might be a little bit of a revert to the median as well. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how great of a three-point shooter Ivy is. You know, at one point this year, he was up at 46%. Again, that's pretty high, especially for a guy who takes a lot of long threes uh, and who takes a lot of threes off the dribble. Uh, I think maybe, you know, this team is still a good three-point shooting team, but they may just be going through a bit of a funk here, and that's okay. Uh, That happens. That's basketball. Problem is, when the team's not knocking down threes, teams can really clog the inside and neutralize Purdue's big men. And you kind of see this when Jaden Ivey has put the ball on the ground the last couple games uh, against Michigan and Maryland. You know, as soon as he puts the ball on the floor and starts going to the rack, teams come in and they make him kick the ball out to an open shooter. Uh, instead of what we've seen at times this year where Ivy obviously goes up for a finish where he is among the nation's best at that, but also he dishes the ball to a big man. When teams are clogging the lane a little bit more, it's not possible to do that. It just doesn't work. So, you know, Purdue not knocking down threes kind of limits this offense. And I will say... um, 
Purdue's bigs are good, they don't take over games a whole lot. And it's hard for big men to take over games, especially if you're like Purdue's big men and they don't shoot free throws particularly well. Um, that's that's something that I don't think you can do a whole lot about at this point. You know, Zach Eady is a decent free throw shooter just from the numbers on his career. He hasn't been great of late. Travion Williams is not a good free throw shooter. Uh, he, he hasn't been. You know, that's just that is what it is at this point. That's not going to change. Now, granted, he was excellent down the stretch yesterday against Maryland. That was fantastic. Uh, he put the team on his back there for the last couple of minutes, got some big baskets to keep Purdue in this, and ultimately ended up helping him win. I do think, and, you know, this is, take this for what it's worth, because it doesn't, it's not the be-all, end-all, but I think it's worth pointing this out. I wanted to look, you know, a pretty common thought here is that Purdue's getting pretty tired. So I wanted to look to see if that is the case. So I use the term week here as Monday through Sunday. That's a week. Um, So the week of January 17th, starting with that game at Illinois, Purdue had three games that week. The week of January 24th, two games. January 31st, they played two games, and in there included what was a Tuesday through Friday road trip at Minnesota because the weather was so bad in Lafayette that they spent two nights in Minneapolis and then a night in Indianapolis before getting back up to Lafayette on Friday and then playing the next day. In the week of February 7th, this past week, they play three games. So... That's 10 games in 27 days from that game at Illinois on Martin Luther King Day to the final horn sounding against Maryland on Super Bowl Sunday. 10 games in 27 days is a lot. And I know that these guys are young. I know they're in great shape. Uh, I know they are they're very high-level athletes. That's a lot. And with how physical the Big Ten is, that's even tougher, especially when you play with two big guys who are pretty physical. That's a lot of wear and tear on those guys that could be causing some problems. Now, I'm not not saying that this is an excuse for Purdue to struggle the last two games, but it might be a reason why they have. And I think you see it on the offensive end with why they're struggling. You know, shooting tends to go when you're tired. Purdue's offense requires a lot of really hard movement. Mason Gillis has been cooling off. That guy plays hard as can be all the time. He's going up for rebounds. He hits the floor a good amount. Uh, He runs hard on offense. The guy plays hard. He's missing some threes. There might be a correlation there. Jaden Ivey's got to be hurting. I mean, you watch him play, and... The sheer amount of times he hits the floor is pretty remarkable. Uh, he goes up a lot, and he comes down on his butt, on his back, uh, on his side a ton. Uh, you saw him a little bit shaken up against Maryland in the first half after he got called for a charge because he hit the floor pretty hard. 
all of that has to be taking a toll on him to some degree. Now, I know it's easy to say tough through it. You know, this is what you're here for, but man, it's tough. Um, This is a lot on them. I do believe I saw that Purdue was one of the first teams, if not the first team in the country to hit 26 games played. You only get 31. Uh, So there's a possible reason. Um, Look, I'm not, I don't like using this as, you know, an excuse zone, but some of this is reality. Uh, Purdue's gone through a lot here, and they've gotten through a meat grinder here. We'll see where they go here. Um, we'll talk about the upcoming week here more in a second. But, you know, obviously, after the Michigan game, the topic of conversation nationally was Purdue's defense. I know I'm a big fan of the CBS Ion College Basketball podcast. Gary Parrish, Matt Norlander opened their show talking about Purdue's defense and how much of a question it is. You know, yes, and I think this week showed you one thing very clearly. It is not a coincidence at all that Purdue's defense, in my opinion, looked pretty good last Tuesday when Kofi Coburn was on the floor the majority of the game. It's those teams that have a five that can stretch the floor that really kill Purdue. It's not teams that have a big big guy like Kofi Coburn. And Coburn had a fine day. Coburn had 18 points, only had, I guess, seven rebounds, a pretty good day for him. But those are both under his average. He committed four fouls. You know, you live with that. You hold him on to his, you know, average under in points and rebounds. That's great. It's no coincidence, though, that Purdue did a better job on the defensive end when teams, when Illinois wasn't bringing their five-man out and running the offense through him at the top. And when Michigan did that with Hunter Dickinson, A, either he got an open shot at the top of the key, or B, he gets the ball up at the top of the key, and either him or a guard facilitates it to a wide-open layup underneath. Or they get the ball underneath, Purdue overhelps, and someone's open from three. You know, when you get those big men out of position down low, Purdue really struggles to get in the right spot. There's not much you can do about that at this point. Um, That's that's a flaw of this team that I don't know that they can overcome. Now, we see Purdue really struggle in ball screens as well, and that is partially because of the size, and I also don't think that Purdue's guards are great at stopping the ball. You know, they have flaws. I think Eric Hunter Jr. is a pretty solid defender. I think he's your best perimeter defender. Isaiah Thompson's limited. He's smaller, struggles with screens a little bit. At the same time, he's in the right spot a pretty good amount. Sasha Stefanovic is not the most athletic guy on the defensive end by any means. Um, He's in the right spot a lot. Sometimes he gets out-athleted, if that's even a word. Um, some guys are more athletic than him. That happens. He gets caught in help sometimes. That happens when your guards aren't great at stopping the ball and your guy who plays the three or the four, like Stefanovic or Gillis, have to come in and help with the ball. Jaden Ivey at times can get flat-footed on the defensive end. 
Ethan Morton's still learning a little bit. I think he has a pretty high ceiling long-term of what he can be on defense, but that's a process. So, you know, you don't have a team full of great defenders. Now, what you don't get out of some of these guys on the defensive end, you get out and then some on the offensive end, especially Ivy and Stefanovic. You know, Jaden Ivy is... An All-American, no doubt at this point. The only question is, is he a first-teamer or not? Um, he's fantastic. The offense is what it is because of him. Sasha Stefanovic is incredibly valuable to this offense. You see it in everything they run, and you saw it against Maryland when he knocks down five threes. I think almost all of them were on the same action. So, um, you know, those guys make up for what they lack on the defensive end. And even then, you know, Stefanovic this week had two, well, what, the first one was against Ohio State. He had a big clutch block, I think. And then he had a huge one against Illinois as well, if I remember correctly. So um, he makes some big plays on the defensive end at times, too. He plays very hard. Um, so, you know, while, yes, Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency numbers can probably improve. And for those who don't know, you know, that's kind of the metric that is being thrown around as Purdue's biggest obstacle as they look to, you know, get to a Final Four or something this year. That number can get better. I think it probably will. Um, you don't have a ton of dynamic offenses coming up on the schedule. I will knock on wood as I say that, but um, it's probably not going to get a ton better. This team isn't great on defense. It's very good on offense, especially when it's knocking down threes. And one thing that I do think hurts Purdue's defense, because they finished last year number 26 in adjusted defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. Right now, they're over 100. It kind of changes every day. I don't know what they're at right now, but I think it's still over 100. You have the almost exact same team as last year. Uh, your only difference is that, I guess you have two differences, is that Caleb First and Ethan Morton are playing where Aaron Wheeler was, and Ethan Morton is playing where Brandon Newman was last year. And Jaden Ivey's playing more, Sasha Stefanovic is playing a little more. But you have the same personnel, and especially in the Big Ten, where these coaches know you really well. They know what Purdue's running. They know how Purdue approaches defense schematically. These Big Ten coaches kind of know what to do against you. That doesn't help when you have the same team in there for the second year in a row, essentially. Um, um, I, I think that could change in the tournament. Obviously, the lack of familiarity is going to help. Uh, I think that's an advantage to Purdue. But... I think that may be something that has contributed to Purdue's struggles on the defensive end. It's just that these Big Ten teams know Purdue really, really well at this point. A few more thoughts from this week, kind of going into each game a little bit. Tuesday night, Purdue-Illinois. Uh, the atmosphere in Mackey Arena for that was electric. Uh, I've been coming to games for a while now. Uh, I will add, I was not at Mackey for 2017 versus Indiana when they set the decibel record uh, in the arena. So 
I can't claim to have heard that. That was as loud as I've heard Mackey uh, on Tuesday. Uh, the fans brought it. Uh, the student section was incredible. During that first half run for Purdue, it was nuts in there. Um, that was awesome. I think a very big part of that is that Illinois is an incredibly easy team for opposing teams to dislike. I think we saw that clearly when Purdue's going on a run and then Brad Underwood throws his little temper tantrum about the shot clock. Uh, probably something Purdue needs to fix, by the way. That's a problem. But that's not my not my area of expertise. Um, yeah, Illinois is easy to dislike, so I think that helps things. I think you heard that with the overrated chant at Kofi Coburn. It is probably a little bit of a stretch, but hey, you know, students are students. Um, that was an awesome game. Jaden Ivey absolutely took over in that second half. I tweeted at the time, and I still kind of feel this way. That might be his first team All-American moment. Um, and I know that's probably a phrase that doesn't ever get used, um, but it's like a Heisman moment in football, may you. Um, that was a type of game with the whole college basketball world watching, you know, the biggest game of the night. He goes out and takes over in the second half and leads Purdue to an easy victory. That was pretty remarkable. 48 hours later, um, Purdue was in a terrible spot. The reschedule of that Michigan game really hurt Purdue. Um, I guess maybe at the time it helped Purdue. You know, that game would have been played, I believe, right after Purdue went to Penn State uh, and they won there. I think that, game, that was supposed to go Penn State, Michigan, then Nebraska at home on that Friday night. Um, so Purdue got a rest there. Um, but, you know, having to go to Michigan 48 hours after a very intense emotional game against Illinois, that's pretty tough. Um, and I know Michigan played 48 hours earlier as well. Uh, something about playing at the Bryce Jordan Center against a Penn State team that's okay at best is a little bit different than playing in the game of the night in front of your home fans and winning it comfortably. Um, Michigan's certainly a tough matchup as well. Um, you know, the rematch will always favor the team that lost the first time the team's played. So inherently, the advantage is on Michigan's side simply from that first game being played. Um, that always helps. It's, it's tough to beat a team twice, no matter who they are. It's even tougher when they do have some really good players. And I know they haven't always looked like it this year, but they have some good players. Uh, that was a big game for Michigan. They came out and they, they curb-stomped Purdue. Uh, that game wasn't close. Then Sunday, Fats Russell was really good for Maryland. Um, I know Purdue struggled with him uh, quite a bit. They struggled with his speed, and that was the second time last week they struggled with speed. Andre Curbelo really, really hurt Purdue with his speed in that game uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, I think, I don't, what did he finish with? I've got the stats here. 
Because um, he was really good. He finished with 15 points, and he was only 4 of 10 shooting, which kind of surprises me looking at it live now. But he got to the line, went 6 of 6 at the line, simply because he got past Purdue's guards. Um, and he's really fast. Fats Russell was too. Uh, he did a really nice job of getting past Purdue's guards and getting into the lane. That is exactly what Maryland was hoping for when they got him from Rhode Island. That is, that's a good player. Um, they didn't get that early on this season, so they fired Turgeon because of it. Um, he got a technical at one point in that game, which was really weird. But um, his speed is tough, and he did a really good job of attacking, especially when Purdue's bigs were up a little bit more in the lane, and he could beat them to that spot. I know there were there was a time or two in the second half when Zach Eady was up towards the free throw line. Russell initiates a drive, gets by Purdue's guard, and then he beats Eady to that point on the floor where he's putting up the layup, Edie can't block it. He can't get there in time. That's tough. Um, you know, that's just, that's part of it. That's part of where this team's going to struggle. I am very glad the out-of-bounds situation uh, at the end of that game didn't cost Purdue the result. Um, it was weird all around. And Matt Painter accepted responsibility for it right away. Which I guess in reality is true. Uh, you know, Purdue as a team probably should have known that, you know, when the time had elapsed, that, that, you know, you can't, the ball's dead. You can't move. But I still don't really know why time elapsed. Uh, I know, obviously, there was a clock error because they brought it down. But um, there was no reason why that clock should have started until... Eric Hunter's pass to Jaden Ivey was complete. Uh, the clock operator messed up. I don't know why that didn't just reset to 8.1 and instead went to 7.8. But Purdue uh, did a nice job on defense on that last play. Travion Williams was pretty straight up. Um, I don't know what Danny Manning was doing trying to tweet about that play. Something tells me the Big Ten office isn't going to love that. Um, very glad that that didn't cost Purdue. That was awkward all around. Um, and a nice job by Mason Gillis as well. He got on the floor after that shot uh, fell no good and made sure that Maryland didn't get the ball back. That was excellent by Gillis. Um, very good job from Purdue on that last play. Purdue seniors as a whole came up very big late. Jaden Ivey made a Jaden Ivey play. But that was after Travion Williams had a few huge buckets. Uh, Eric Hunter Jr., I believe, had a pair of threes in that second half that were huge. I believe Sasha Stefanovic hit, what, three threes in the second half? Yeah, three threes in the second half. Um, just massive. That's your seniors coming up big. Those are your guys who are going to do it in March. Jaden Ivey's going to be there, and it's going to be those three seniors who are going to put this team on their backs. Um, those guys care a lot. They've seen a heck of a lot. 
They've been inches away from a Final Four. They've been a run-of-the-mill team in the Big Ten. And they've been knocked out of the NCAA tournament early. They're going to be ready to do something special this March, I think. Purdue is really probably lucky to win that game. Your issue there, 16 turnovers. You're the num- I said this last week, and it's still true. The number one offensive efficient team in the country can't be wasting opportunities to be efficient on offense. You score more points per possession than anyone. You want more possessions, plain and simple. You can't be throwing them away. And it wasn't a single culprit for Purdue in this game. It was a problem across the board. They just have to be better there. This cannot be a problem in the NCAA tournament, especially if defense is going to be a problem. There was a lot of clamoring out there for Brandon Newman to get minutes. And, man, I feel for the kid. Uh, He's in a tough spot. You know, look, he started the majority of last season. I think it was, what, 22 of 28 games or something. And now he's out of the rotation completely. That's tough. Uh, that is a that's a tough pill to swallow. Um, you know, it's like the old saying goes, the most popular guy in town is always the backup quarterback. And as a Bears fan, I know that all too well. But that's the case here, I think. Jaden Ivey and Sasha Stefanovic aren't coming off the court, especially once you get in March in NCAA tournament situations. Those guys aren't coming off the court. They're going to be playing 34, 36 minutes a game. They're not coming off the court. And then for your other, you know, guard spots, you have the one, which Newman really isn't. He's not a ball handler. So you have Hunter and Thompson there. Hunter and Thompson can play together. Uh, You can move Hunter to an off-ball guard spot. And then Ethan Morton is a better ball handler than Newman, and I think he's probably a better defender. Uh, Newman's three-point shooting ability helps, but it's not like Morton and Thompson are very deficient there. Uh, They're good shooters as well, especially Thompson, but Morton's done a nice job on catch and shoot threes this year. It is very good to see Newman, you know, there's been two videos that have gone viral is not the right word, but gone around Purdue Twitter, him getting up shots in Cardinal after the Illinois game, him getting up shots in Mackey after the Maryland game. That's always good to see. You can tell the kid cares and the kid wants to be really good. And next year, he's going to have a boatload of opportunity to because your two best guards, your three best guards are leaving. Um, I think just looking back on it, that Rutgers game was really a turning point in his season. Uh, Purdue was struggling in the first half. He forced up a couple threes, finished one for six shooting, one of five from three, had three turnovers there. You know, in reality... A 10-man rotation is pretty much impossible to pull off and still play your best players enough. Someone was probably bound to fall through the cracks. You know, at this point right now, Purdue's got a nine-man rotation. And yesterday, Caleb first played three minutes. Um, Some games, Ethan Morton doesn't get a ton of run. Isaiah Thompson's been around 10 to 12 minutes a lot lately. So 
what minutes do you give to Newman at this point? There just aren't minutes available. And it's tough, but that's probably the reality here. Final thought from this week. If Purdue doesn't win the Big Ten, that loss at Michigan is not the one that caused it. That loss at Rutgers, when you lost a late lead, is a killer. That loss at home to Wisconsin, who, God, I I keep saying it every week, they're not that good, and then they go win at Breslin. But Wisconsin is not some dominant team. And watch, they'll go win at Assembly Hall tomorrow, too, and make me eat my words even more. But you lose at home, give up 37 points to an opposing player. That's probably even worse than what happened at Rutgers. So I'm not going to point to that loss at IU. That's a rivalry game. Things happen there. Um, But those two losses really hurt you. And in my opinion, those are the two that could really cost Purdue the Big Ten race. Moving forward this week, another pair of games, as always. Wednesday, 9 p.m. at Northwestern. A good, fun 9 p.m. road game. That went awful for Purdue last time, but, you know, this is just a tough environment again. Um, And the exact opposite, you know, the exact opposite way of a tough environment is the fact that the place is a ghost town. And it's going to be dead silent there. Uh, There might be more Purdue fans than Northwestern fans there. Uh, Purdue's going to have to get up. They're going to have to get itself up and ready to go play. Um, Purdue won by 20 against them earlier this year without Jaden Ivey. Things can change quickly in this league. We all know that. Northwestern took Illinois to the brink twice this year. They beat Michigan State. They are certainly capable uh, of making things interesting, if not winning outright. And then Sunday, you return home, and man, it's already the second-to-last home game of the year in Mackey Arena, Uh, and it's the first time Purdue gets to rematch against a team that they lost to. Obviously, we all know Ron Harper Jr. is a threat and a half. Um, He had 30 against Purdue last time with that buzzer beater from half court on a step-through. Geo Baker didn't play that first time around. He'll be playing for Rutgers this time around. Um, He's a good player. He just had a great game. I was at this past weekend against Wisconsin. He had a real nice game. Uh, And he had a nice game when they upset Ohio State as well. He's a good player. Um, Rutgers is hot. Three straight ranked wins. They beat Michigan State. That was at the rack. They beat Ohio State. I think that was at the rack as well. But then they won at Wisconsin. Steve Peichel's team, man, they're making things interesting. They lost to Lafayette earlier this year. Uh, They have a very interesting NCAA tournament resume, but they're going to make it hard for that committee to say no if they keep putting up good wins. That's going to be a battle of a game on Sunday. After those two, five days off for Purdue before a... Saturday game at Michigan State, you know, that's two weeks away. Not even remotely talking about that yet, but those five days off, a Monday through Friday off, Purdue really needs. They need some time off. They need to get in, have some practices. I know Matt Painter values practice time as much as anybody. They haven't had much lately. They can get a little rest. It's not game speed. But you need to get to that five-day stretch unscathed. you got to win both of these if you want to have a chance of winning the Big Ten, 
We're looking around the league. Illinois is back in the driver's seat. Uh, they had a chance to put the league not completely away on Tuesday, but a little bit. Uh, Purdue beat them, and then Purdue promptly loses to Michigan. Wisconsin promptly loses to Rutgers. So Illinois is back in first place solo again. They have a tough week. They go to Rutgers and Michigan State, but that's the type of week where two road wins, that might seal the deal on them putting up a banner in the State Farm Center. Uh, that would be a heck of a week if they go 2-0. and I did notice, looking at the standings, Purdue has played a game or two more in the Big Ten than most Big Ten teams have already. Purdue's got five games left. Illinois, Wisconsin, they've got six. Michigan State has seven, and Ohio State still has eight Big Ten games to play. So there's a lot of really good Big Ten basketball left. Congratulations to Nebraska. They got their first Big Ten win of the year last week. They took down Minnesota, so a very big win for Fred Hoiberg and the Huskers. But at this point, it's Illinois' league to lose. And whether they do it or not, I don't know. They have some tough games left, but they control their own destiny, and they are good enough to win out here. As always, let's wrap up a few random notes. Big news from the football side of things. Purdue's season opener uh, versus Penn State moved to Thursday night. That's going to be Thursday night, September 1st, under the lights at Ross-Aid. I asked on Twitter what you all thought of this because... I don't know. What you know? What do people think of this? Because I heard plenty of mixed reviews. 60% of you liked it. 40% of you don't. That sounds about right. Look, from a fan perspective, I see both sides. Um, it's very inconvenient that folks are going to likely have to take some time off work if they want to come to this game. Um, that's a pain. I fully feel that. Um, you want to get down on Thursday to tailgate, depends where you're from, but you know, you're probably taking the afternoon off. And then if you're someone who needs a hotel in Lafayette, not driving back at midnight after, you know, a game, then that's taking Friday off work. So I get the frustration there. Um, I live in Lafayette. I don't really care. My travel is almost zero anyways, but from a fan perspective, this game better be sold out. Uh, if this game gets flexed to a Thursday and it doesn't end up selling out, that would be a really bad look. That would really suck for Purdue uh, to not capitalize there when it would be absolutely sold out if it were a Saturday afternoon. From a program perspective, this is awesome. You will take as much national exposure as you can get. I think it's always a good thing. I thought it helped that Purdue played a couple of ABC games last year. Uh, I know that game at Iowa was ABC. The Michigan State game was on ABC. The Ohio State game, although it didn't go well for Purdue, I think that was on ABC as well. Uh, this game, I am pretty much assuming, will be on you know the real Fox, not FS1, not BTN. I think this will be on Big Fox. They had Minnesota, Ohio State, Week 1, on the Thursday night this past season, they got massive viewership for that. It is a great opportunity for Purdue to open the season on a national stage and have a chance at a statement win. 
Um, Penn State is a traditional, you know, powerhouse of college football. And while they aren't, you know, they're not dominating the sport right now, uh, they have a lot of talent on that team and they have a lot of depth on that team. So great opportunity for Purdue there. And then, hey, it's a little bit of the selfish plug here, but college baseball starts this week. Uh, I love college baseball. It is a lot of fun. Purdue takes on South Dakota State down in Texas to open the season with a four-game series. And I'll be honest, I I don't watch a ton of Big Ten baseball. Uh, I am more than happy to watch the SEC and the ACC where you know there's just more overall talent. But MLB lockout isn't going anywhere anytime soon from what it sounds like. May delay the season. Maybe college baseball will get a little more love. Um, especially once you get to that first weekend of June with uh, regionals. My goodness, that is a blast. Um, NCAA tournament in college baseball is awesome. And hey, shout out to Purdue Softball. Give some love to the Diamond today. Uh, they went perfect in their opening weekend. I think they were 5-0 and uh, down south in their season opener. So good stuff on the Diamonds. The hardball is back. Uh, very excited for baseball season. But that's all I have for you today. Thank you for spending some time with me. As always, please give the show a follow on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. Tons of stuff going on there. Come hang out. Come participate in the Q&As. And hey, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're coming down the backstretch of the season. You don't want to miss a thing. Next week, we'll be back. Purdue has some days off. That means there's plenty of opportunity for your questions to be answered Send them my way whenever. Tweet them to me. Uh, DM them to me, however you want to do that. Until next week, enjoy a few games as we are less than a month away from the bracket being revealed.